all New Zealand was doing was pulling a big sheet over itself and hoping for the best. And and through a combination of everybody doing that, you know, we pulled off something that that is enviable. But they, they certainly are um, gearing New Zealand up for the person that slips in and sets it off around the country. I'm Danny Vallant, and this is Dirty Linen, the podcast that takes the issues the hospitality industry finds hard to air in public and shakes them all about. We're continuing this week on Dirty Linen to chat to people from around the world. We're not that far from Australia today, chatting to Sam Krofsky in Christchurch in New Zealand. Sam runs C1 Espresso Cafe, and he's been doing that for 24 years, building it up from a hole in the wall for 12 people to a cafe that seats 350 and has menus in Chinese and Japanese to cater to a large tourist market. Maybe not so many tourists today, Sam has dealt with earthquakes and now a pandemic, and I am super glad to have him here chatting to us today. Hi, Sam. Hi, Jenny. How are you? Yeah, I'm good. I I need your perspective from out the other side of stage four because Melbourne's locked down right now. Tell me, tell me what things are like in Christchurch right now. Um, well, we yeah, so so we so we went through our lockdown, and I think it's. It's been widely marketed around the world as a as a tough, quick, decisive kind of lockdown that um, uh, has has made us kind of come out that other side in a um, bubble of, um, of of normalcy, possibly. Um, so we're all able to go about our normal business, um, and that, that's what the day to day kind of thing is at the moment. But um, it certainly feels like an episode of The Simpsons where um, there is a glass dome over over New Zealand while we go about our our normal business, while the rest of the world um, is in all various kind of stages of um, chaos. Yeah, so I mean, the marketing does say, tell the story of New Zealand just yeah dancing around under that bubble. I mean, what does it feel like? Do things actually feel relatively normal? Um, I'd, yeah, it, it, I mean, it does feel like a global marketing thing and, and we're in an election year. So there's an election in a couple of months where, um, uh, it's important that as New Zealanders, we all feel that we did a good job doing whatever, you know, hide, hiding in our houses. Um, and now we're allowed to be out and about, but it, like for me, it, it really, and our family, it does feel, um, like one of those YouTube clips um, where you're standing on the wharf and you're watching the cruise ship kind of coming towards you and you're sure that they're going to stop and then they don't and they just kind of tear through the wharf. That's kind of how it feels. We're all kind of going about our Sunday walk down at the at the wharf, but there's something impending um, and inevitable that's about to happen. That's how it feels. So it's nice, it's nice to be out and about, but it... Um, but certainly um, we're concerned about going back. Uh, is there social distancing? Like are there distancing and density rules? Like what? where are things at? No, nothing at all. No, this is – there's there's, uh, there's rugby games, there's um, there's concerts, there's uh, – it's, it's everything as, as normal with no, um, no kind of coronary kind of hang-ups at all. So it's, it's, it's completely business as usual in New Zealand. You you couldn't sell sanitizer even at a fifty percent discount. 
you know, there's plen- plenty of that. We're, run- we're running out of, they've run out of elastic for the um, face masks apparently in New Zealand, but um, but the which but no one's wearing them. They're, they're buying them just in case. So um, I, I think, like I, I don't know much about um, anything, um, but the um, but I know that there won't be any. The, the longer that we're kind of being normal and doing going about our normal stuff, the more resistance there would be um, for any kind of uh, lockdown or restrictions in the future because we're getting quite comfortable with it. And um, there would certainly be my concern. Like there'd be no political um, goodwill kind of left. You know, it's a depreciating kind of asset. Um, they've already done the harsh lockdown. It would be pretty hard to get New Zealand to um, uh, kind of respond well, I think, to that in the future. Oh, it's interesting because from the, the feeling I get from the outside looking at New Zealand is that society is pretty cohesive. Jacinda Ardern walks down the street and there's like ticker tape parades wherever she goes. Uh, is that uh, just how it looks from the outside? Um, yeah, like I mean, everyone everyone loves her and her approach to the things that have happened for sure. Like it's um, it's certainly been, um, you know, there, there, are, there are leaders doing much worse jobs around the world. Um, so, um, the New Zealand government's done a good, a good job at that. Um, I, in, in terms of what the lockdown is all about and, and certainly what's happening in Australia at the moment, I mean, the, the way that we're combating this virus is equivalent to like, like this is how I see it is as little kids, when you're scared about something that you don't know about. You pull the sheet up over over yourself at nighttime, right? And that protects you. Mm. <laughs> and it kind of feels yep. so. In terms of New Zealand having done a good job, it was basically like New, all New Zealand was doing was pulling a big sheet over itself and hoping for the best. And um and and through a combination of everybody doing that and um, our geographical kind of isolation, like we um you know we pulled off something that that is enviable. Um, but it will be. Um, I I can't see the future, but they they certainly are um, gearing New Zealand up for that. Um, you know, for the person that slips in and um, and sets it off around the country. Well, I mean, yeah, that's that's your cruise ship crashing into the wharf, isn't it? It's uh, it's that person that comes in and uh, sp- starts spreading the virus around the community. So the. The the first time around, I'd been watching on social media what was happening around the world, and um, we had put things into place um, in January for our business to um, prepare for that for that cruise ship kind of coming towards us. So um, we had um, allowed um, any kind of staff movements where because we had we had a big team of thirty people. Anyone who was like leaving town or doing those kind of things, we weren't replacing them, and we were just working harder to get by, um, taking the gamble that something like a lockdown was going to happen. But certainly, in this in between, but where New Zealanders' business as usual, the anxiety that I have is around um, how do you, how do you prepare um, for something that is is potentially inevitable um like so another lockdown how do we get ourselves ready again because we're we're pretty lean as it is right now our business was positively geared towards um tourism 
Um, so we've lost that kind of part of our market. Um, it certainly is um, uh, can keep you up at night as to how can you be not complacent in this in this kind of time. Do you, what sort of contingencies do you have? Yeah, but well, well hospitals is a tricky one. You know, like um, certainly. Um, uh, it is a, it is a very tricky one where um, you know I want to do all the good best business practices to make sure that there's cash in the bank and that we're um, profitable and lean while we're open and we're not um, embarking on any of our typical harebrained kind of schemes. But um, the um, but it is a tricky one because it's in such a it's such a vulnerable industry and it was shown in New Zealand how vulnerable kind of hospo and tourism was because it was kind of thrown to the dogs. Um, it was the um, least supportive, supported of any of the um, industries with um, with the lockdown measures and with being the last to reopen and all the rest of it. It's, um, it's, certainly, um, it's certainly a tricky one. Because when you had your lockdown, you weren't able to do any takeaway at all, were you? Yeah, the, the lockdown enabled us. We were able to... Um, so we, we roast coffee and we um, grow tea and things in the Pacific, and um, we were able to we were still able to sell those things online. Um, but the um, but we weren't able to do um, like a hole in the wall thing. No, I mean, can you put that in the context? Like you already had the experience of the earthquake in two thousand and eleven. Your cafe was destroyed in that. So you had this experience of having to close down and at the same time knowing that you were going to have to come through it in some way. Can you sort of take us back to that time of the earthquake and how you approached it and then let us, yeah, just tell us how that helped you get through your lockdown? Um, well, ne- next month's actually the 10-year anniversary of the of the first earthquake, which caused a lockdown um, for us for maybe a month we were closed. Um, and um, that earthquake, um, so it was, it was really major, but it happened in the middle of the night and nobody died. So it's a huge earthquake where um, everybody lost their televisions and chimneys and stuff like that. And um, the next thing, um, the insurance companies are giving people new plasma screens and heat pumps and there's free concerts in, um, in our local parks with international guests and um, the community like really came together, and it was a bit, it was a pretty bang in time. It was um, everyone was kind of pro what the quote quakes had done for the Christchurch community. And then when the next one happened, um, which was yeah five or six months later, um, that's when it was in the middle of the day, and people were dying, and um, most people's houses were destroyed. Um, not a cool earthquake, and. Um, I remember leaving our because we live in the central city, and I left um, our business. Um, I kind of I was l- lulled into a sense a false sense of security because the previous earthquake, we had gone back and reopened. So I thought, oh, it's going to be cool. We'll just get in there and we'll sweep up and we'll start again. So I remember I walked home. Um, part of the city was on fire. Um, all of those kind of things, you know, there's a makeshift hospital and a park by our house where, um, uh, you know, all sorts of horrors were happening. And um, our house was destroyed. It was all a bit of a 
surprise for me in terms of how much like a pers- one person could go through, I guess, because um, in one of those moments, and I think, you know, the pandemic is certainly one of those moments where everyone is going through it at the same time. Um, that you always kind of imagine that someone else is having a worse time than you. And in terms of your own kind of how you look after yourself, like both physically and mentally and all the rest of it, um, it certainly takes something to kind of start considering yourself and being like, you know what, this is um, not a good situation for us to be in, um, having lost both, you know, our home and our and our in our business so um but we always kind of were looking at other people being like oh mate that's worse for them because they lost their car at the same time or just this yeah yeah we're, we're, you know. <laughs> it's a funny kind of uh calculation that you that you uh you rabbit hole that you go down yeah and you and you always kind of think oh it's bad for me but it's worse for others so i'm not going to moan and i'm not going to make a deal and i'm just going to get on with this kind of thing so the the second earthquake where we lost everything um we, um, yeah, sure, we, we got up and dusted ourselves off and we did it again. We were, I was in a funny spot where we, we grow coffee and tea and things in the Pacific and Samoa specifically. And um, as we've, we've done this project for many years, and when I was younger, really a beggared belief to see people dusting themselves off and doing things again so like i'd go over there and there'd be a, there's a tsunami that took out the whole south coast of samoa and um, people lost their lives and their homes and there they were the next day rebuilding their homes you know right where they were where they'd just been destroyed and and that for me i was like well just move up the hill or move town or move country because clearly um you know the climate's out to get you here um and when it happened to us, when we lost everything, it was certainly um, there's something, you know, something deeply human that makes you um, dust yourself off and do it again. Um, like that idea of home and where you're from, you know, really drove us to um, to reopen our coffee shop exactly where it had been destroyed. I mean, um, who, who would do that? And... Um, same with our house, we rebuilt it. And, um, yeah, there's, uh, there's something that drives you to do that. But it, from the outside, um, I remember we got a lot of attention for redoing it and people made out as if we were super strong and super resilient and had all the ideas and were resourceful and all this stuff, um, which wasn't, wasn't really what it was. I mean, you have this... Like we had a, oh, my kid was born just after the earthquake, so the family to support. Like we just, we were kind of in a corner where we had to do those things. Um, certainly not resilient. I mean, these things break you down and and um, make each day harder than the next. So in terms of things that we were drawing on, I don't know if I was, um, I don't know if I was thrilled to be in this position of being unemployed, you, you know, I'm, I'm telling my kids, dad's unemployed again. We've lost the cafe again. <laughs> um, and I had to write a bio recently for myself um, where it went something along the lines of, um, you know, I've been trying for the last 24 years just to lose, lose 
you know, for my hospitality business to go under in the traditional way, you know, from <laughs> hook, hook, hooking up with a staff member or buying a hummer <laughs> or um, underpricing my meals or drinking and doing drugs. Or, like, and it, it just seems to be everything else is out to get us. Just the, Yeah, just a normal yeah. disaster would be great. Um, Sam, was it scary to rebuild? I mean, did you have this feeling that the tsunami was going to hit you again? Or, I mean, is it does it feel strange to uh, create something that has this illusion of permanence when you've seen it destroyed? Uh, yeah, 100%. We're in one of the last heritage buildings in the central city. Um, so even even that up until you know up until we opened the doors and people were like oh that's successful and and we like it people were like that's not going to work because Christchurch people will be too afraid to come in certainly you know that you know when the corona restrictions were there and people were trying to open the door handles with their elbows and and things um those habits quickly you know people were pretty quick to um go back to using their hands and coughing in my face and doing all the other things that they, they used to do before the Corona, the Corona thing. Um, so, um, you know, people are pretty quick to go back to normal. Yeah. People, there's, we love putting scary thoughts in boxes and just having another coffee. But I, I feel like there must be something about what you think hospitality is for that, drives you like what c1 means to the christchurch community or is that a sort of accidental outcome of the fact that you just need to earn a living to support the family oh it was there was there was an accident at this oh well i mean no before the earthquake so um you know 10 years ago and um and the cafe gets destroyed and my phone stops ringing um because the cafe is no longer um it's no longer a problem. So um, it's been, it's destroyed by the earthquakes, but um, it doesn't. None of the staff are late anymore. Um, <laughs> you know, nothing is nothing is breaking down anymore. Like it, it, it kind of really tidied up all of the problems that that we were having on a day to day basis. Um, and one of those problems was, and you know, we've always found in hospitality, and certainly worse than ever now, thanks to the internet. Um, was there was a noise around um, whether you were doing a good job or not because most of the feedback that you get is is going to be negative. And um, certainly, you know, at the end of the day, I'll, I'll remember the one or two um, uh, bad customers or experiences that I had during my shift as opposed to the, you know, the 99 um, great experiences. And that's a, I've, I've found that that's a really cumulative thing that um uh puts tension into yourself and your business um and when the earthquake happened i thought well fuck that takes care of that doesn't it like christchurch is going to be happy now to be rid of us or whatever and we're gone and it and it wasn't you know there, there was a outpouring of grief from our our friends and family and fans that um really did want us to come back and, and redo stuff, but we didn't realise what it would mean when we reopened. I mean, when we reopen, you know, it isn't about, like, our business in particular is a um, business that um, is 
uh, a center of community. I mean, the coffee is secondary to people meeting up. So a, a common conversation I would have with somebody is they say, I want to get a coffee machine for home. And I'm like, don't do it. Like, you know, they're, they're big and they're expensive and they make a mess and you'll have to make coffee at home, <laughs> you know, and, and um, what a pain when you could come here for not much money at all for a really simple pleasure that it isn't actually about our coffee. It's about meeting your friends and those or the experiences you have with our staff. Um, there's so much more to to those hospitality moments that um, that's actually what people are buying for for four bucks or whatever is is that that experience. Um, so certainly when we opened, we were surprised by um, how much it meant to people. Um, yeah, it's it's more than that, isn't it? Was it the same when you reopened this time after the lockdown? Was there that surge of joy? Well, we on the first day that we opened, we just gave away everything for free. Wow. Um, which um, uh, it made they made pretty big headlines, which also surprised us because at the time, like we've been closed for I don't know, was it a couple of months? I I can't even remember. Um, it was quite some time that. Um, there was a lot of um, fretting amongst the hospitality community as to how they were going to reopen and what they were going to sell. And everyone's trying to do these take-home meal kits or, you know, everyone was hustling for Uber Eats and all those kind of ways to make money and, and stop yourself from going under, I guess. And we kind of just thought, oh, fuck it, it's like pissing into the wind basically <laughs> for whatever we do on that first day. Let's just um, let's just celebrate our customers and um, and give it away for free. So um, there was there was, was very um, it was a very warm outpouring for sure. Um, but everyone loves a free thing, don't they? <laughs> they do for sure. But it was it was a it was, but it was a, it was a good time. It was a good time. Um, there's the community that you build around your cafe with your customers, but there's also the hospitality community. Um, now, I know that in the past you studied forestry engineering and you've got an interesting way of relating the world of hospitality to the world of the forest. Can you talk about that? That sounds much more um, hippie than, than, I, than I'd imagined. Um, the... Um, <laughs> The, it's science, actually. It's, it, it's a science. It's right. I'm not even sure if it's a degree anymore, to be honest. Um, the, uh, the, yeah. We, we, I mean, this this was really something around. Um, well, I, I I often see that hospitality is treated at the bottom of the pile. So, in terms of things that were allowed to reopen, you know, it was cafes and bars were the very last kind of industry that was allowed to um, reopen its doors. And um, which is a shame because I I do make that analogy around um, forestry and things is um, it's actually the first thing that can regenerate a community. So um, the idea, especially after the earthquakes, was that um, you've got a barren, you've got all these barren plots of land, and for those who aren't aware, like when Christchurch was destroyed by the earthquake the whole central city was bulldozed. So that's, um, it wasn't leaving, there was nothing left, um, but um, but dust and rocks and things. And um, so we had this idea around breaking that kind of land as a weed and um, 
uh, around, you know, weeds come, you know, shrubs and then flowers and trees and all those kind of things. And, um, and the trick, I guess, is um, as those um, forests start to come back after the land's broken up by the weeds, is to hang in there because that's gentrification, <laughs> and um, and we we're just we seem to be a weed that can't be destroyed, so far, still yet to be destroyed. Yeah, it's a very poignant image because when you're talking about weeds and forests, it's like what I think about is the bushfires that you know we have nowhere near recovered from a horrific summer, and then it's just all been swamped by a global pandemic. But there's there's definitely something about about new life and about vigorous life and about, you know, life that will not be denied. It just, um, yeah. Oh, and their life is driven by those those risk takers, you know, which are, are those weeds. And, and they tend to be those kind of people on the fringes of, of the community who are driven, who are, sorry, drawn to um, hospitality for sure, are, um, are people that will take those risks when everybody's shaking their head, being like, you know, they might not work. Um, and, and, create that normalcy again where people can go out and um, bond with each other. And, and certainly hospitality had a real big bounce here in New Zealand, I guess, where everyone was concerned that nobody would want to come into an enclosed space again and be within two metres of somebody. But that was the thing that we were all, that's what we were all craving because we were stuck in our houses, um, you know, like isolated from people New habits, certainly, you know, everyone's formed new habits. They're on Zoom and they're doing whatever they do um, that are new habits. But um, the meeting people, you know, humans need human company. We love it. Um, and that, that's something that hospitality um, is able to benefit from and um, help be part of the healing after um, this coronavirus thing. Yeah, I think there's something in, you know, most hospitality people can't imagine doing anything else. It's just like, that's just that's just what you do. Uh, so there's that sort of compulsion, I guess, to do it. Um, and that, you know, it's that the weed that regrows, that sort of vigorous um, life. But I think there is also something hospitality people really want to be able to nurture and welcome and cater to that hunger for community that people have after being separated and disconnected and to have, have our society so fractured. And Yeah, so our, our business in particular is, um, and, and I remember this from um, like the global financial crisis and the um, recession that New Zealand faced after that was our business is kind of geared around what I've, what I've learned as an as as a lipstick economy so um uh, people may restrict their spending um so they may not buy like a new dress to go out but they buy a new lipstick that makes them feel good um and goes with the dress from last year or something and and buying a coffee is that um small treat that um you know they may not go um out for dinner as often but they they will continue to um have a coffee and have those other experiences that come for free with it by um, meeting up with your mates or doing whatever. So the, the lipstick economy did us kind of well um, through other um, uncertain financial times. Mm. I mean, does that impact the way that you develop your menu? Are there certain dishes that you just put to one side for now and, and other ones that you would uh, lean into or build up that build up a different menu section? 
Um, well, we we have um, we've built price price horizons into our menu, and yes, we've removed any of the um, uh, lower margin stuff. So um, um, we've we're making sure that the people that do come here that we're um, and are supporting us that we're we're making money, um, and that's I I know a lot of people are concerned about that and have gone in the in the other direction. Um, but we've, um, we're just at risk of, um, tipping over if we discount for higher revenues, but, um, you know, which, which won't come from any tourists, you know, there's, there's no tourists kind of around and stuff. So, um, uh, we, we actually went in the other, in the other direction for that stuff, but we, we did some menu engineering to ensure that, um, things were tight. Um, but we're, we're making sure that people have a good time with high quality products that, um, uh, paying, paying the wages and things. New, New Zealand during the pandemic. So what during the, uh, it's still the pandemic during the lockdown, um, New Zealand had a, um, minimum wage increase, um, happened, um, which, which has an effect through, um, through all industries, because you know that the knock-ons from you know the guy collecting the rubbish through to um, you know it, we we weren't paying minimum wage to our staff, but there's a knock-on to what you're paying your baristas and your managers and things. You know you've, you've got to you got to nudge everything up when those things happen. So it was quite a crazy time that during a pandemic, when um, customers are coming in saying they're on reduced hours or their salaries have been reduced, and I'm talking lawyers and accountants and things. Um, that your staff, the reverse has happened. Um, so we, you know, things things are tight, but um, certainly we're keeping a close eye on that. I know you don't want to be the poster boy for resilience and fortitude, um, but it would be great from our position here in Melbourne, where no one's going to restaurants and we can't even drink a takeaway coffee on a street without even a, a two meters from our friends. We're supposed, we need to bring it back home and drink it solo. Uh, can you give us a little glimmer of light? What? How are we going to come out of this, and is it going to be okay? Um, I, I mean, I, uh, as Australia looking at, as typically Australians look at New Zealanders as as the butt of the joke, don't they? We must be looking pretty cool right now. Is it? Yeah, looking great. We all want to move there. How cool is that? That's really. Um, <laughs> I, I come from a large family and I'm the only person that was born in Australia and um, I've suffered I've suffered years of that and, and now it's so nice for Australia to look at us for for hope and inspiration. The um the I I guess like things will end. Um so the you know the lockdown the lockdown's gonna end, right, at some point. Um so there's there's that, but it's such an uncertain uh, like you know, you get, you get the fires, and you know the fires are going to end, and then there's the cleanup. Um, the earthquake happens, and there's going to be a cleanup, and the tsunami. There's a cleanup. There's there's no kind of cleanup with us. It's getting on. Like it's such an unusual thing that none of us have faced an entire shutdown of an economy, and then how do you restart that again? Um, New New Zealand has had. Um, really unusual things happen where there was, um, I think the, the tourism spend um, of New Zealanders overseas and, and the lion's share of that was in Australia was $10 billion. So it's last year. 
there's how much money left New Zealand and a lot of it goes into Australia and, and into the Pacific Islands. And they worked out that if um, New Zealanders only spent 10% of the money that they were going to take away on their holidays in New Zealand, that New Zealand would bounce back into a better position than it was than where money was going overseas. Wow, and, that's incredible. Um, and that's, that's, it, but, it's, but it's a crazy statistic. Um that defies it defies belief, right? So, in terms of things, things are going to be okay. Um, well, they 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 will be, and they have to be. Um, and in in Australia, this, a similar thing will happen. There will be money that will be sloshing around, um, and it will be unexpected that um, people will want to go out and um, and support their communities. And communities in cities like like uh, sorry like like Melbourne. It's a funny idea to talk about community and people coming together, but these kind of shared experiences do exactly that. So there will be positives that come come from this. Good. Thanks, Sam. <laughs> uh, it's been really great to get your perspective. Um, we feel close, connected, hopeful, and we're looking forward to visiting New Zealand because uh, once we get this situation sorted, I think it might be the only place we're allowed to travel. So look out, we, we will be coming and we'll all be coming. We'll come to see one and we'll have a beautiful coffee. That would be great. Uh, we, we, we'll stop bemoaning backpackers and all the rest of it and, um, and, and love our little friends from over the ditch again. <laughs> Thank you so much, Sam. Thanks for having a chat to Dirty Lennon today. Thank you. This is Dirty Linen and I'm Danny Vallant. We air the issues that the hospitality industry finds hard to talk about. We spend a week thrashing around each issue, hearing from different people with unique perspectives. We want to hear from you as well. If you have something that needs to be said about a topic, get in touch so we can include your perspective. Contact us at dirtylinen at deepintheweeds.com.au or hit us up on Insta at Dirty Linen Podcast. We can't wait to hear from you. This is a Deep in the Weeds production. <laughs>